I don't know if any of you have a testimony of a Christmas like that, but I think on some level we can all relate. Family Christmases can be a little bit crazy. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you right now are feeling a little bit nervous about getting together with the family for Christmas, thinking about celebrating with your family? Uh, like one of the themes for Christmas is peace on earth, at least that's what we see on the coffee cups and decorations and Christmas cards and signs. But by and large, when we think about Christmas with our families, peace on earth is not the adjective we would use. I know sometimes uh, I think to myself, I don't need peace on earth. I just need a piece of pie, right? maybe some eggnog to get through the next few hours uh, with the family. Because truth be told, we do, some of us have uh, that difficult family member. It may not be somebody in your immediate family, uh, but if you uh, analyze the family tree and shake it a little bit, inevitably some nuts are going to fall out. You know what I'm talking about. It's a very spiritual principle that in every family... There is some type of crazy person climbing around in it. Even in Jesus' family, there were those people. You can read Matthew chapter 1. It gives you the lineage of Jesus' family. Uh, And there's hookers, a murderer, all kinds of crazy people listed in there. I'm sure some of you right now are thinking about that person uh, in your family. You're nervous about seeing that crazy uncle or that crazy aunt, that weird cousin. Uh, You're thinking to yourself, man, I'm hoping they're not going to be there. You're anxious about what they're going to say or what they're going to wear or what they'll do. Lord, help us all. Right. But if that's not you, if you're here today and you're thinking, well, pastor, that's, that's not my family at all. We don't have anybody like that. There's, there's nobody who's crazy. Well, I might submit to you that it's a spiritual principle that every family has that person. So if you don't know who that person is, the rest of your family knows who that, who that person is. No, but it's, it's true. Many, many times at the holidays, our homes are not characterized by peace. They're characterized by stress and tension and conflict. People will take the opportunity of being together to tell you how you should be raising your kids. They'll tell you what you're doing wrong. They'll uh, take the opportunity to tell you how you should have cooked the turkey or you should have cooked the ham. Grandma always did it this way and there will inevitably be some complaining it will likely start in the car you'll find yourself saying things that you never thought you would say like don't make me pull this car over do you want me to take the christmas presents back i will take your presents back do you want me to tell santa not to come to the house this year he will not make the stop we will be saying these things Uh, But maybe you're part of a a different situation. Maybe you had a divorce in your family, so there's that added element of complication within the family dynamic because now you've got exes involved, there's stepkids involved, and your extended family might be confused. Are are we supposed to, are they part of the family now? Do we buy them presents? Like, how does this whole thing work? And uh, maybe you were part of a home that, that had some abuse or alcoholism or something like that. Maybe it's still going on. 
Uh, I would encourage you, if you need some help with that, please come talk to me. But you're not looking forward to seeing some people in your family because of what they represent to you. I hope that's not the case. But whatever your story is, the good news for you today is that God has something better for you. God has uh, outlined for us within Scripture how we can have peace this Christmas. So no matter what situation we find ourselves in, Christmas can be better with our families. If you're a guest with us, we're in part three of a Christmas series called Oh, What Fun. I titled today's message, Oh, What Fun It Is to Spend Time with Family. That might have just been a good reminder for me because I tend to be a little bit of a homebody. Uh, I'm content with being at home and, and kind of by myself. I, I think most people uh, interact with me primarily on a Sunday morning, so they think I'm just this some talkative, gregarious type of personality that's super outgoing, and that's really not the case at all. I, I really don't talk a lot when I'm in public. I'm a little bit of an introvert, maybe a lot of an introvert. I'm perfectly happy with a fire in the fireplace, just doing a puzzle at home with the wife and the kids. And so uh, it's not always good to be that way either, as my outgoing wife likes to point out to me frequently. So I think we can all learn something together this morning. So let's see what God has to say about this uh, subject. I want us to look at a passage of Scripture. I'm trusting and believing that God's going to do what only He can do, and He's going to help change some hearts this morning. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. You can go ahead and grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 5. You also should have received some uh, message notes on your way in. You can pull those out and follow along as well. There's really just one sentence that I want us to look at, specifically uh, one word that God really spoke to me as I was preparing this message. But while you're getting there, let me set up what we're about to read in this one sentence in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to summarize your entire Bible in about 50 seconds. Okay, so buckle up. God creates the world and everything in it. The culminating event within creation is when God creates human beings in his own image. He creates a paradise-like garden for the human beings to live in. He says, I want you to tend my garden. I want you to work the garden and keep it and cultivate it and make it fruitful. You're going to need some help with that because it's a big garden. So have a lot of babies, but just one rule, whatever you produce in the garden. You can eat it, but there's this one tree over here. I do not want you to eat from any fruit of that tree. So do whatever you want within the garden, make it fruitful, but do not eat of the fruit of this one tree. If you know the story, you know that uh, this was too much of a temptation, so the two succumbed to the pressure, and because of that reality, all humanity was cursed with sin. The nature of sin causes it to only escalate, and sin escalates to the point that God feels like His only option is to start over. So we get a whole reboot of the human beings within Noah. This is human beings on operating system like iOS 11 or whatever you want to call that. So, uh, joke, never mind, don't worry about that. God, 
Uh, Noah kind of screws everything up as soon as he gets off the boat. So God decides he's going to have to make a covenant with a guy named Abraham. Abraham's a great man of faith, but he's got his own problems. 99 problems. His wife happens to be one, if you know the story. These problems lead to generations of Abraham's descendants not wholeheartedly following God. They're ultimately enslaved in Egypt. God allows this to happen for about 400 years and sends a guy named Moses and his brother, Aaron, you might know him, to rescue the people within Egypt. He brings, this is, this is paraphrased, okay, so if you're looking for this in your Bible. Uh, he brings them out of slavery. He gets them some new laws that they need to follow in order to be brought in with God. Laws that make them right in the eyes of God. Again, human beings are unable to keep the law. So we need a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. God's Son, Jesus Christ, says, hey, I got this. I can save the people so that they can be redeemed back to us. That they can worship with us. Because sin has no place in the presence of of God. Jesus says, I will take their sins so that they can be in a relationship with us again. God the Father says, do work, son. So, Jesus is born miraculously to a teenager named Mary. I'll talk about that in a few weeks. But after helping his stepdad Joseph build the wordworking business that he started for about 30 years, Jesus then begins his ministry to save the world. He starts preaching and teaching and showing people how all along God had this plan to save his people. Jesus is the culmination of that plan. So Jesus, after these 30 years, chooses 12 guys to come help him, his disciples, to spread this message that Jesus will save the world. That gets us to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is about to preach a sermon to a few thousand people on a mountaintop. He's going to tell them what it really means to follow God, to live in a way that's pleasing to God and be in this relationship with God. And the way he starts this message is with a Greek word. It's makarios, and it's translated in your Bible, blessed. Or if you're a hyper-Christian, you can say blessed. I just say blessed. But it literally means happy or fortunate. And nine times in a row, Jesus starts a sentence, blessed are the blank. Blessed are the blank. Makarios are the blank. Nine times. Why? Why does He do that? Because people then are the same as people now and everybody wants to know what's in it for me. Why should we follow you, Jesus? Because you'll be blessed. You'll be happy. You'll be fortunate. In other words, an unhappy Christian is an oxymoron. You can't be following Christ if you're not happy. If you're following God and are not happy, you are not doing it right. It doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to go well all the time and everything's going to be hunky-dory, rabbits dancing on rainbows eating chocolate, right? That's not how it always is going to work out. But your treasure will always be found in Jesus. He is enough for you. But let's look at what Jesus says in chapter uh, 5, verse 9. He says, Blessed Makarios are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do, that word peacemakers. Peacemakers. 
a maker of peace. Why is that a big deal? Because most of us, when we hear the word peacemaker, you either think A, Wyatt Earp and his pistols, or B, you think of a mediator who hears both sides of an argument and then comes to some sort of agreement between two parties in order to negotiate peace. That's a peacemaker, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about someone who literally creates, who makes peace. So can we agree that making something is different than administering something? As a basketball official, I didn't make the rules of basketball. I just enforce the rules. As a baker, you didn't create the ingredients. You just made the cake. You tracking with me? Friday was uh, National Brownie Day. Praise God for that. What does that have to do with anything? Absolutely nothing. But it reminded me when I talked about baking that it was brownie day and, and brownies are awesome. Uh, the inventor of brownies did not create the sugar or the eggs or the oil or the package of stuff that you put in for the brownies, the, the brown stuff. Uh, whatever that stuff is, I don't know. Uh, my point is, making something is different than administering something. So it stands to reason that in our context, peacemakers are different than peacekeepers, right? Some of you are still thinking about the brownies. Okay, that's fine. They're awesome. I get it. But peacemakers, keep, keep with me. In my experience, I think the Bible backs me up on this. Peacemakers and peacekeepers are different. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers, He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Why did he say that? Because peacekeepers often avoid conflict conflict to keep uh, the peace. Peacekeepers like to skirt an issue. They'll do anything at all costs to avoid conflict. Perhaps you know someone like that. Perhaps you work for someone like that. Frustrated parents are often peacekeepers. Now, Johnny, if you won't throw a fit, I'll give you a piece of candy as soon as we're done shopping. But I want candy now, right? And crying, and Johnny gets the candy to keep the peace, to keep Johnny's mouth shut. That's peacekeeping. On the other hand, peacemakers embrace conflict in order to make peace. They do not shy away from conflict. They know conflict is a means to an end. Peacekeepers will see what's going on, assess the situation. They'll try to solve the problem. They will create peace. Time Magazine had an article a couple years ago about the infamous Christmas during uh, the truce during World War I. You've maybe heard about it. The war that claimed 15 million lives halted momentarily during the Christmas of 1914. Over a 100,000 soldiers gathered together. They started singing Christmas carols. They laid down their weapons on the Western Front. British and German soldiers are even rumored to have played soccer. If only they could have kept the peace permanently, that would have been an example of what Jesus calls us to do. He says we're supposed to be peacemakers. And not just in the midst of the chaos that is Christmas and family time, but year-round, we're supposed to be the ones who generate and facilitate peace. I'll say it this way. Christians are God's solution to the issues in the world. 
Now, the problem is sometimes our issues get in the way of us being the solution, like in World War I. See, sometimes we want to be the peacemakers God has called us to be, but there's too much turmoil within our own lives that we've got to solve first. We've got to have peace in order for us to make peace, right? Well, if you're taking notes, go ahead and jot this down. Peace is not the absence of something. Peace is the presence of someone. Somebody say, that's good. That's good. Peace is not the absence of something. Peace is the presence of someone. I was preaching a little better than you were responding right there. But I want you to think about something. The Bible begins and ends with peace, right? God creates human beings, man and woman, in the garden. They're at peace with God. They're at peace with each other. There's no conflict. There's no turmoil. This is what the only time God says this is very good. And then the Bible, at the end, we read about a kingdom that is coming where there is again peace, There's no more violence. There's no more war. The Bible says every tear will be wiped away. So it begins and ends with peace. So what happened in between? Sin. Sin. We disobeyed God. We took God out of our lives. And the result of that is turmoil. It's stress. It's strife. It's it's everything but peaceful. Anybody ever read 1 Corinthians 14.33? says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Yeah, not your question. We're talking about peace. The answer is peace. Okay. Uh, peace. You can see peace is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. So if you really want to have a peaceful Christmas this year, you've got to have Jesus in your life. He's got to be the center of your home and of your family and of your finances and of your work and of your school. You can't partly be in on this Jesus thing and expect peace. It's all or nothing. And the beauty of it is when Jesus is in your boat, there can be a storm raging on the outside, but there can still be peace on the inside. Amen, somebody. Bring Jesus into your life. So let me tie these two thoughts together. Peace is the presence of Jesus in your life. It's not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. So if you're a peacemaker, you've got to be someone who brings the commands of Jesus, who brings Jesus. We call this righteousness. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you've got to be someone who brings righteousness to any and every situation. It's why the very next words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 are blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? For righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, people who don't have peace don't have Jesus. They don't like righteousness. It's why when you bring righteousness as a peacemaker, you will be persecuted. Watch this, Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts you. In other words, having peace is a desire. Making peace is a decision. You get to decide 
that you can make peace in your life. I'm going to say that again because, again, you guys are not responding very well to me. Uh, having peace is a desire and a good desire, but making peace is a decision, a decision you get to decide. You can decide that today. Peace is possible for you, no matter what your family is like. If you first trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, peace can be had in your life when you bring Him to any and every situation. So let me give you three decisions you can make today, aside from trusting in Jesus, although we have to start there. I'll eventually end there. But let me give you three things that you can do as soon as you walk out these doors. You can incorporate these things so that this Christmas, with your family, you can put the fun back in dysfunction, right? (laughs) So what we're going to strive for. Amen. Here we go. Number one, lovingly. Tell the truth. Lovingly tell the truth. This is Ephesians 4.15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in even in every, sorry, growing in every way more and more like Christ. I said this a few weeks ago. I'll say it again because it was really good. Everything you say should be true. Not everything that's true should be said. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can do is not say anything. It's to keep your mouth shut. When your in-laws are criticizing you and crazy Aunt Janice is talking about how much she loves cats and her cat did all these crazy things. If crazy Uncle Henry took you know, too many nips of the hooch and he starts talking crazy to you as well. Sometimes what you have to do is just keep your mouth shut. Just be thankful that you have a family and a home in order to celebrate with at all, right? There's a lot of people who that's not their story. But for many of us, it's ours and and we get to celebrate. But when things have gotten to a point where you need to speak the truth, the Bible says you must do so lovingly. Here's a way you could possibly approach it. Say, hey mom, hey dad, hey whoever, I just wanted you to know that I'm so glad we get to spend Christmas together. I know there's a lot of families who don't have that luxury, so I'm thankful for you. But I wanted you to know that there's something you're doing. I'm guessing guessing you probably don't even realize that you're doing it. And if you do realize you do do it, you, you must not know how it makes me feel. But here it is. You see the difference between that and just reacting This is peacemaking. This is a response. It's not a reaction. That's a big deal. You can put that in your notes. I should respond, not react. Should respond, not react. But but you got to put things in perspective before you escalate a problem. Whatever is happening, you know, start with the good and then describe how it is that you're feeling when necessary. Speak the truth in love. Here's another thing. How can you bring Jesus into your situation so that you can be a peacemaker, which is what God has called us to be this year? Number two, apologize when you are wrong. Apologize when you are wrong. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, well, Pastor, I've never been wrong. Listen, don't bring that junk in here. All right, this is church. You've been wrong. Even if you're 1% wrong, You've still been wrong. You should apologize for your 1%. Don't bring up percentages when you're apologizing either, okay? (laughs) 
You take ownership of the problem. Here's another helpful tip for you when you apologize. You don't say, hey, you know, I'm sorry I, I did all of these things. Is there anything you would like to say to me? No? Oh, then I take it back then. I take my apology. No, you can't do that. You need to take ownership, apologize when you are wrong. This is James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins, apologize to each other, and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. Confessing your sins means admitting to specific, specific attitudes and actions with no excuses. Are you hearing that? No excuses. You want to hear some of the most jacked up apologies on the planet right now? Listen to some of these politicians who are resigning. Although my memory of the uh, circumstances are different from theirs, I regret being in a position to make them feel uncomfortable. What? That's not an apology, okay? That's, that's, you should tell them you're sorry, like athletes who say, well, I'm sorry for how I've made you feel. Sorry for letting my fans down. That's not an apology. You're not taking any ownership of anything. See, there's a difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse means you're sorry for getting caught. Repentance means you are truly broken about what you have done. You might want to write this down uh, somewhere on your note sheet as well. I'm sorry is for mistakes. Will you forgive me is for sin. I'm sorry is for simple mistakes that you've done. That's remorse. Repentance. Will you forgive me? That's for when you have sinned. I'm sorry I left the toilet seat up and you sat down on the bowl. That's a mistake. Or a really funny trick to play on your wife when it's cold outside. Don't do that, okay? Uh, no, but but sin. Will you forgive me? That's different. Deception, purposefully lying, things like that. It's not an I'm sorry and I'm done. That's an I'm sorry I deceived you. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Confess your sins so that you can be healed. I'm convinced a number of Christians who are not happy within their Christian life simply have unconfessed sin linger around in their heart things that they know were wrong that they have done yet they have not confessed those things and God cannot heal them because the Bible says confess your sins to one another so that you can be healed get rid of it it's junk it's baggage it's holding you back you're not fulfilling the life God wants you to have because this is weighing you down and you can be healed today God says apologize when you're wrong last one number three so huge. Forgive and let go. Forgive and let go. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive. Why? Because the Lord forgave you. This is not easy. So listen to me carefully. I'm not saying it is easy. I know there have been some significant betrayals in this room. I know there's been some significant abuse. I know there's been significant addiction. I know there's all kinds of horrific things that I wish wouldn't have happened to you, but they did. But I also know forgiveness does not require reconciliation. Forgiveness is only requires you making the decision that I am not going to hold on to this anymore. 
I honestly believe that forgiveness doesn't even mean that you have to talk to that person ever again. It simply means in your heart saying, God, I know that you have forgiven me. And I now forgive them. I am choosing to not allow this to poison my soul anymore. I was hurt. But so was your son Jesus as he suffocated to death and choked on his own blood. If he can forgive me for my responsibility in that act, then surely I can choose to forgive whatever has been done to me. Now notice what happens when you do that. Not only are you blessed, but because peace isn't the absence of something, it's the presence of someone. And because you brought Jesus into that situation and chose to, be, to, to forgive them, you will be called a child of God. Here's what I know about children of the Most High God. They get to spend an eternity in paradise, in heaven, with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that great news? That you get to be brought into the presence of the Lord because you've made some decisions in your life to forgive people and to accept Christ and the forgiveness that He freely offers to you. So listen, it all starts with a decision. A decision to bring Jesus into the center of your life. Peace isn't the absence of something. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of someone. And it's the presence of Jesus Christ who wants to save you and bring peace into your life. Let me pray. Father God, I just pray right now that we would not be Christians in name only that we would be fully surrendered to the power of Your Son and His Holy Spirit. God, help us live in the blessings and the truth that You have promised us. God, we believe that peacemakers will be blessed. They will be happy. Nothing will be able to cause turmoil in their life. They will have a peace that surpasses all understanding because they have You in their life. God, give us the courage to speak the truth in love, to own the things that we have done. Please give us the courage to forgive that even which seemed unforgivable because You have forgiven us. As we continue to pray this morning, God, I just ask that You flood this room with Your Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you haven't brought this presence of Jesus into your life, and you're feeling this anxiety and this anxiousness around this time of year, and there's turmoil and stress, and you know there's got to be something more, the Bible says confess in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision right now. And I'd invite you just to pray with me. Heavenly Father, save me from my sins. Make me new. I believe Jesus died for me so that I could live for You. 
fill me with your spirit so I can follow you the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for saving me. God, thank you for everybody here today. Help them, bless them, give them this fortunate life that you have promised, peacemakers. We declare all this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.